0: It's not just good conversation. It's your voice on the weekends. Weekends with Kenny Rameyer on News Radio
1: KLBJ. Hey
0: Kenny, I think
1: you know you're spot on in terms of your assessment on this thing. Kenny, I appreciate everything you do to keep us. This- Everything you
0: just said in the last five minutes all tied together. And good afternoon to you. Thanks a lot for being with us on the weekends here on News Radio KLBJ. I'm Kenny Rommeyer, live and local with you this afternoon. We've got a good mix of local, state, and national news for you today. Locally, NPR is reporting a new director of the Office of Police Oversight has been named by the interim city manager. I think it's significant for not only how it happened, but also since police oversight is one of the big sticking points in the city's police union contracts. So we're going to talk about that with you coming up. Right here on News Radio KLBJ. In state news, you may have heard Texas Governor Greg Abbott has called for yet another special session. And even though in his letter to the Lieutenant Governor and the House Speaker, he didn't say specifically what this was going to be for, certainly a lot of speculation that it would be for something to do with education, maybe even school choice, right? We could only. We could only hope. And then, national news. Well, you've heard it by now. The so-called government shutdown crisis has been averted this weekend. So we'll touch on all of that and a whole lot more coming up right here on KLBJ. First up, though, as I mentioned, this report from NPR locally here, that Austin's interim city manager, Jesus Garza, has named the interim director of Gail McGant, to run the Office of Police Oversight. McGant became the interim director in June. The, the former director stepped down last September, according to this article. The former city manager at the time, Spencer Cronk, promised that city of Austin would begin a national search for a new director. And then Kronk was out, of course. Jesus Garza came in. And he said uh, much the same about the national search and that. But, as it's been reported, there's been no public engagement, no notification to the employees. Council Member McKenzie Kelly in the article said that council members were notified on Friday. And, and get this, what do you make of this? The Austin Justice Coalition, they've been some of the big players in defunding, the police, the anti-cop crowd, and all of that, right? They said this appointment is not in the best interest of people of color in this community. Now, that implies to me that Gail McGant might actually be somebody who's fair, objective, and at least open-minded when it comes to issues with APD. Don't know that, and maybe we can find out from our first guest here this afternoon coming up. He is the head of the Austin... Police Department Union, and that's Officer Thomas Villareal. Officer, thanks a lot for being with us on a Sunday afternoon here on KLBJ.
1: Yeah, good afternoon, Kenny. Thanks for having me.
0: Just uh, interested in any feedback that you have, any reaction that you have on this news that Gail McGant has now become the um, new director and the permanent director for the Office of Police Oversight.
1: Yeah, I... I, uh, you know, like, uh, probably most people learned about this, uh, decision that the manager made, uh, over the weekend, actually learned about it this morning, uh, on Twitter, uh, just, you know, catching up, trying to get ready for the week. Um, so, you know, interesting, interesting decision to kind of reverse course from what had been previously said, but, uh, you know, not, not much different than other decisions that he's made um in his time as as the interim city manager but uh i don't know it'll be interesting uh you know we we are committed to oversight we're committed to to responsible oversight um I, i've I've told folks for years uh that that I've been involved in leadership uh with within the austin police association you know we're not we're not scared of oversight we have some of the finest officers in the nation um we've we've worked with oversight for for 20 plus years and you know it's uh it's not a terrible thing we just need to do it the right way and we need to be able to negotiate over it and you know this it's it's a little bit comical to me that you know folks from the justice coalition folks like chris harris um you know are are Calling foul because because they don't like the the decision that the manager has made. Um, yeah,
0: well, that's pretty rich, isn't it? I've I've I thought that myself. And and what do you what do you read into that? And and just a quick question about McGant. She's Not been on the job even on an interim basis for very long. But any experience with her? What's your uh, what's your take on how she's done? So far. And then any any read that you have on what the Austin Justice Coalition has said about this?
1: Yeah. So uh, when she first got the interim job, we we met for lunch and, you know, we've not had a bunch of of interaction, um, you know, obviously being out of being out of contract. We we used to under contract have quarterly meetings and those have stopped. Um, and so, you know, it, it, we're in this weird place being out of contract. Um, obviously that office is doing some things that we don't think is, is, is correct under the law. Um, you know, obviously we would much rather deal with the prop a issues and actually get back to the table and negotiate over what should be happening, what shouldn't be happening. But, you know, we're kind of just working through this and, and documenting stuff as, as we need to. And, and, you know, I I don't. I don't think that she, I don't think she's a bad person. And to the point that you made earlier, um, I think part of the issue that that some of these anti police, police abolitionist activists, their their issue with her is that they're not able to control her, and and perhaps she's not as um, radical as as someone that they want. Yeah. And right. So, um, you know, I think that's where a lot of a lot of their heartburn, if you will, comes from.
0: Mm-hmm. We're talking with APD Union Chief Officer Thomas Villarreal, And so, to me, Officer, this plays in a lot to the, the current contract talks, which, as you just mentioned a moment ago, right, there's, there's really nothing going on, but the Office of Police Oversight has been one of the big sticking points on the contract negotiations so far, right?
1: Yeah, oversight as, as a as a whole, I would say, more than that office, Um You know, if you obviously anyone that's been paying attention for the past year to to us and our contract issues with the city uh, recognizes the problems that have been brought on by the passage of Prop A and then the city's full, you know, uh, their desire, if you will, to fully implement Prop A. Um, You know, some of the some of the biggest problems with Prop A is you have a provision within the city ordinance now that says. Um, if the city were to violate parts of a contract, uh, that the association couldn't grieve those contract violations. And then you have another part of the, of of the city ordinance that says, if you don't include the entire city ordinance, the entire prop a language, uh, then the council cannot ratify a contract with the police association. So you have, you know, a, a host of poison pills within within their their language and to the point where I've very openly told uh, folks within the media, I've told folks at the city on on the staff side, I've told city council members, like, these are non-starters for us and I have no desire to waste my time or energy or or the association's money um, sitting down at the table just to sit down at the table. And so, you know, if and when the city – and the association are in a position where we can actually negotiate over oversight, I'll be happy to go sit down and hammer out a contract.
0: Yeah. And so maybe um, as we begin to wrap up here, I don't like to deal in rumors. I have heard a little bit about, as far as the contract negotiations go, the city's maybe uh, looking to play some hardball with you guys about taking away stipends uh, which would refer to uh, if you get extra pay, right, for dual language maybe, for education, sure. for being a, a training officer, uh, mental health officer, that kind of thing, looking to take that away and maybe take away even that 4% uh, increase that you guys got in salary last year. Yeah. It, are you hearing some of that too?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of scuttlebutt going on. You know, at, at the end of the day, um, I've, I've had conversations with with. Obviously, our our management at the police department. I've had conversations with my with my association leadership team, and you know we're gonna we're gonna start having some conversations with these city council members, and and really let them know like you, the position that they will find themselves in if they allow their ordinance to expire uh, that they passed back in March. They you know Zoe and Cheeto kind of spearheaded uh, a sunset provision that only allowed that city ordinance to to last for one year Mm -hmm. and if they allow that to expire uh, you know kind of to your to your question of allowing these these pay benefits to to go away um i I think you're going to have some a few different problems right part of part of that ordinance extended a sick leave buyback uh that officers had under the contract and so many officers who were eligible to retire um have stuck around um they stuck around kind of trusting that the city would would leave that in place and so if it expires this upcoming march then you i I think you'll see an influx of people retiring that you know didn't retire last march um, and stuck around and you're just delaying the inevitable for a year, you yeah. know, not only that you're, you're in the past year, you've increased the number of people that are eligible to retire, right. Just naturally as we push forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we're, we just had a class graduate, you know, nine whole folk or sorry, 19 whole, whole, uh, new officers hit the streets and yeah. you know, we're going to have a net deficit between people that we've hired this calendar year and people that we've lost of uh, 40 to 50 officers. And so, you know, just another year of a slide in the wrong direction. Um, and I, I've, I've told folks before, I'm not going to beg these city council members to do this or to do that. They're going to do what they want to do. They need to remember that these folks are it's, – it's not big, bad, you know, Detective Thomas Villareal union president that they're affecting. They're affecting – You know the lives of almost 1500 of their employees uh and and 1500 employees families and so if if they're going to allow it to expire they should at a minimum give folks you know six eight weeks worth of heads up so they can make those very important life decisions and and life plans that they need to make and you know I, i hope we don't lose anybody but i i know the reality is folks will retire if they allow that to expire and, and folks will go seek employment elsewhere.
0: Yeah, I'm you know, just, I'm, and, and last question for you here. These stipends can be significant, right, depending on what they are how many. Uh, there are hundreds of dollars a month, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. When we fell out of contract in 2018, we had some officers lose $1,000 a month, um, you know, between shift differential, uh, FTO pay, you know, secondary language, things like that. And mm-hmm. so... Yeah, it's uh, it can be it can be substantial. Wow.
0: Well, I'm sensitive to your time here on a Sunday afternoon, uh, Detective Villarreal. Thank you so much for the quick update on on what's going on with the Office of Police Oversight, how that plays into the contracts, and uh, we wish you the best going forward with all this.
1: Thank you, sir. Have a good day.
0: Thanks for being with us this afternoon here on KLBJ. Okay, your first opportunity to react to some of this news yourself. Anything we said in the interview, the news about. Uh, The interim Office of Police Oversight uh, Director now is the permanent director, even though we had promises from city government said they're going to do a nationwide search. 512-836-0590. Lots more to get to. Stay with us here on KLBJ. Kenny Rommeyer back with you here on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks for being with us on the weekends on News Radio KLBJ. Glad to have you with us. Uh, Continuing a little bit more Local news discussion here before we get to some of the big national stories of the weekend. I saw this story, and you're going to say, hey, Kenny, what's the significance of this? Here's the headline. Eight buses that were supplied to the Jackson, uh, Wyoming area are out of commission. Those buses came from a company, an e-bus company called Proterra. So what does that have to do with us? City of Austin bought a lot of buses from that company, and as recently as of August 10th, Capital Metro still expects its order of dozens of these e-buses to be fulfilled. I mean, I've seen numbers anywhere from 40 vehicles at just over a million dollars each, upwards of almost 200, $255 million deal overall. The reason these eight buses in Jackson, Wyoming, are out of commission is because Proterra is bankrupt and Jackson, Wyoming can't get any parts to maintain the buses. So wouldn't it be a reasonable question to ask? How are we going to get parts for these buses? How are they going to be maintained here? What what edge do we have over Jackson, Wyoming? Now, if they only bought eight and, and we're buying a couple of hundred, maybe that gives us more leverage. Don't know what the contract looks like and all the rest. But just made me wonder. The bankrupt company, some municipalities and cities already having problems with the buses that they bought. And yet here we are. We've signed up for dozens and dozens of these e-buses. So we'll stand by and see what comes out of that. You're on KLBJ. 512-836-059. If you'd like to join us, you can give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. I mentioned little state news that uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced the next special session for our Texas legislature is going to begin October 9th. Texas Tribune reports it's likely about school vouchers or school choice, something like that, although, as I mentioned a moment ago, the purpose wasn't addressed in that September twenty-sixth letter to the Lieutenant Governor and the House Speaker. So we will stand by and with great anticipation. Hope that the political thumbsuckers over there at the state capitol are finally going to get around once and for all to uh, doing something about school choice, school vouchers, whatever you want to call it, to uh, do something about that and, and, and something meaningful, right, for those that have been hoping for something like this for a long time. And it's certainly been discussed for a long time by the politicians, right? They got us on the edge of our seats, So we're looking for some results, looking for them to deliver there. And we'll see what happens. Legislatively, in Washington, D.C., you've heard about it by now, uh, the House cobbled together one of these continuing resolutions, a 45-day deal to keep the U.S. government open. A lot of Democrat votes for the deal Several Republicans said they didn't want any part of it, and yet it's passed. And then the Senate signed up as well. And President Biden has uh, has said it's a done deal. Here's a quick update from Fox about all of this. The new deal gives lawmakers an important commodity: time. That, according to Arkansas GOP Congressman French Hill, will let us bring the rest of those individual appropriations bills to the floor that are substantially lower spending levels than Joe Biden and and Kevin McCarthy's debt ceiling deal. But will McCarthy still be speaker when that's done? Some Republicans may seek to oust him this week. Florida Republican Byron Donald says he's on the fence. Frankly,
1: I don't know right now. I got to really think about that.
0: Both were on Fox News Sunday. McCarthy says he will fight to remain speaker. Grinnell Scott. Fox News, And we'll have more on that uh, internal squabble going on amongst McCarthy and some of his uh, key members in just a moment. President Biden, of course, had to sign off on this deal, which he did. And he had a little presser uh, about all that and uh, gave a couple of comments as to uh, the significance of it and kind of how he feels about it. Here's a little bit of President Biden on that.
1: I'm sick and tired of the brinksmanship. And so are the American people. I've been doing this, you all point out to me a lot, a long time. I've never quite seen a Republican Congress or any Congress act like this.
0: Wow. It was 50 years in politics. They're on Capitol Hill, and he's never seen anything like it. Hmm. 50 years, huh? Well, it is interesting that uh, now that crisis has been averted for 45 days, uh, unfortunately, the uh, the members of Congress, uh, Senate and all, they couldn't get together and do anything per the Constitution, which is pass a budget, and uh, that's kind of where we are, another CR. We'll talk about this and a lot more coming up. Quick news break. KLBJ. Kenny Romeyer, back with you here on a Sunday afternoon, live and local for you. Thanks a lot for being with us on the weekend. Just to follow up on uh, the big news about uh, the so-called crisis averted, right, on uh, – keeping the government open another 45 days. And when I said right before the news break, unfortunately, it is a constitutional obligation for Congress to pass an annual budget. We've heard about all these, uh, what, 12, a dozen appropriations bills that are still not done and these continuing resolutions just time after time after time. you got to understand if some of these who voted against this deal, and and we're the ones squawking the loudest about all this, they would like to see a paradigm change, a a difference in how we manage things in Congress, right? Didn't happen this time, not sure if it's going to happen again. Meantime, back at the ranch, we've got uh, House Speaker McCarthy, who cobbled this deal together with uh, quite a few Democrat votes, and Handful of Republicans upset with him about that, including Congressman Matt Gates, who's now saying this weekend he's gonna move to unseat Speaker Kevin McCarthy this week, as early as this week. He said McCarthy has brushed all this off. He said it's personal between himself and Gates. Meantime, Gates says that nobody trusts McCarthy. Now Fox News reports Today, the House Republicans are looking to expel Gates because of some ongoing Ethics Committee investigation and apparently some findings from an upcoming ethics report. One quote is, nobody can stand them. <laughs> and the allegations of sexual misconduct, illicit drugs, or other misconduct Okay, so we'll have to see how that plays out. These are just allegations at this point. But the squabbling back and forth, I'm guessing a whole lot of people probably don't care anything about it. Nevertheless, if it, it would be interesting if if they pull it off and unseat McCarthy, who is third in line in succession. If something were to happen to Biden and, and Harris, then there is a number three guy. Here's uh, McCarthy. Now, let's go with Gates first. Gates uh, talking about McCarthy here today.
1: When do you make this move?
0: Uh, You'll be seeing it this week. I don't think the adults in the room would lie to House conservatives, and that is exactly what Kevin McCarthy did. All right, and then McCarthy responds to Gates. Here's that. He's more interested in securing TV interviews than doing something. He wanted to push us into a shutdown, even threatening his own district with all the military people there who would not be paid only because he wants to take this motion. So be it. Bring it on. Let's get over with it. And let's start governing. All right. I think most people would agree with that. Try to settle this nonsense and and let's move on. I did see one report that Gates rumored to be interested in running for the governor office there in Florida and a motion to expel if that comes about to to get rid of get rid of Gates that's a two-thirds vote meaning Democrats would hypothetically need to to come on board since it's such a a tight uh, 221 to 212 Republican to Democrat uh, makeup in the House of Representatives so Again, a lot of noise, a lot of nonsense there to most people, and we'll, of course, follow it and and see where it goes. Now, another little bit of drama that you may or may not have heard about has to do with the Democratic Congressman Jamal Bowman of New York. He was reportedly filmed on camera pulling a fire alarm to delay the vote on this 45-day stopgap measure to delay the vote in the House. And this is according to Politico. New York Post confirmed there were several witnesses. So an investigation is underway. It was not successful. And a spokesperson for Bowman's office said this. The representative did not realize that he would trigger a building alarm as he was rushing to make an urgent vote. And then went on to say he was simply trying to open a door. I'm sure a lot of us have mistaken a fire alarm, that little red thing on a wall, for a doorknob, right? Who hasn't done that? Even if they're in a hurry. Give me a break. How lame. How lame is this? Now, sadly, when on the Republican side you have this uh this loser in Congress, Santos, right and and I mean that guy's had so many issues, so many lies that have been have been proven, so it, it doesn't exactly give the Republicans a lot of moral high ground here. Now, you could say the consequences of some of the lies from Santos versus what this guy was trying to do big difference, okay. Investigation's underway. We'll see where it goes. I'll be surprised if anything comes out of this. 512 836 if you'd like to join us here on KLBJ. And, of course, you heard the news that it broke Friday afternoon about uh, Senator Diane Feinstein of California has died. And so I got looking. She's too old to have been there, right? For as long as, as she was, several on the Democrat side, and on the Republican side, fall in that same category on Capitol Hill. I would suggest in the Oval Office in the White House as well. But you just take a look at the average age of Congress. It's, it's on the rise. The current class is one of the oldest in history. Median age is 59. Now, if you break that down a little bit more, the median age of the senators, age 65, that's the highest, oldest on record. And then in the House, the highest also, oldest on record, age 57 to 58, is the median age. And then here's how it breaks down in terms of just the overall demographics that we're so familiar with, right? The over 80 crowd... In Congress, 6% of those in Congress are over 80. The baby boomer generation in their 60s and 70s, about 48%. And then we have Generation X, in their 40s and 50s, about 33% there. The millennials, over 30, about 12%. And then the Gen Z crowd, less than 1%. So clearly, a huge majority in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, right? Only 13% in their 30s, even less than that. I found this, too. Ten senators died in office between 1917 and 1918. Think of that. Ten senators died just over the course of a couple of years or so. The past 10 years, more recently, only Feinstein and Senator John McCain have died. But there are certainly some, in my opinion, that need to go ahead and, and be put out to pasture. Sadly, the voters won't do it. Those closest to some of these old dogs won't pull them aside. I guess they just, they just have visions of those big pension plans. Coming in, right? No. Needs to be a change on that front, if you ask me. 512-836-0590 here on KLBJ. When we come right back, got to get into some of the things that former President Trump has been talking about lately. I think some pretty uh, some pretty stupid comments, actually, as he's been out on the campaign trail. We'll have that. And a whole lot more coming up here on KLBJ. And back with you here on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks for being with us on KLBJ. Kenny Romeyer with you live and local. Did, did you watch that second Republican debate? It's old news by now, more ways than one. Only if you saw the numbers. In that first debate, there were almost 13 million viewers. The second one, about 9.5 million viewers. Uh, the Trump campaign has urged the Republican National Committee to end any further primary debates. They said the second debate was, quote, as boring and inconsequential as the first debate, end quote. A YouGov poll showed the Republican voters said that Trump should participate uh, by a margin of 39% to 31%. Well, so we'll see where it goes. I agree the guy needs to get on stage at some point. And I would hope that would be sooner than later. Out in California, he was on the campaign trail. And I don't know if you heard this. He promised that he would send federal law enforcement to cities with orders to shoot shoplifters as they exit. Now, apparently, the crowd he was speaking to, they were hooting and hollering. They loved to hear that kind of stuff. And I... When you see the lawlessness that's going on around the country, not enough police, it's not their fault, lack of prosecution, some of the uh, Soros-backed DAs around the country, I mean, there's a lot of of issues here. I was just practically speaking, let's just break this down for a second. So former President Trump, how exactly would you do that, sir? And, and what federal agency would they come from? Or would this be a, a new band of like the federal air marshal program, right? You're just going to have you're gonna have guys in the stores that look like mannequins, and then if they see somebody shoplifting, they just shoot them dead right there. I mean, practically speaking, again, well over a year before the elections, it's red meat to the crowd, I suppose, on the campaign trail. I sort of get it on the one hand, and yet, come on. There's over a million-some retailers in the United States. Now, you take away, you know, the restaurants and you take away the service industry, you know, like uh, dry cleaners or something like that, right? But just just exactly how are you going to divvy up that many agents to be in the right place at the right time? Is it a convenience store? Is it a, a Macy's? How many are you going to need, where are they going to be to be able to, to carry out instant justice here, according to you? I, If he wants to get behind instant justice, I would suggest you to take a look at some of these mass shooters and say, okay, if we're going to have instant justice, let's give the mass shooters their day in court. But guess what? They don't sit in a prison for 20, 30 years with endless appeals in that they're done. I mean, if he's looking for deterrence, and that was a big part of his speech, he said, this would end it right away. Yeah, maybe. But there, there are bigger problems if we wanted to uh, to try to support a more expeditious kind of justice, right? If, if you could even call on shooting a, a shoplifter for taking a pair of tennis shoes, if that's your idea of justice. So that's just one thing that the former president said that didn't sound very good to me saying that he didn't want to do debates anymore. That doesn't sound very good to me. He talked about uh, investigating Comcast, right? The parent of NBC and MSNBC. Uh, you heard about this, I think, earlier last week. That's, that's not a good thing to do. Much as you might dislike NBC and MSNBC, i it's difficult to watch those networks. Certainly on the news side. But if you want to take them on, sir, why not get in the arena with them? Now, you did a Meet the Press interview, right, with, with the new moderator of, of Meet the Press after that phony weasel that used to uh, be the moderator was gone, Chuck Todd, right? So you've done it once. Now, even though they edited out a whole bunch of that interview, but why not go on Joe and Mika's Show in the mornings. Why not uh, get out there on MSNBC with Rachel Maddow, right? Take them on. Get out there and exchange your ideas. Defend them. Don't talk about big government going after media. That, that just seems like a bad way to do it. So those were some of the things that I, you know, Trump got great results. You're, you're listening to a guy that supported him. In the past, this is the scorched earth. It's not just what you do, it's how you do it. And it's a scorched earth way of doing things. And, you know, here's another one. He called Nikki Haley bird brain, right? And and even the reports were that a bird cage with some bird seed was left outside of her hotel room. Reportedly, Trump's campaign owned it. And he's been calling Nikki Haley bird brain. Boy, this, this guy really knows how to... How to get the uh, independent women's vote, doesn't he? Give me a break. She was your U.N. ambassador, sir. Former governor. I mean, you're going to call her a bird brain? It's not very smart, it seems to me. Five one two eight three six zero five ninety. One other thought on Trump. I saw this in the Washington Post. It was an opinion piece. And I thought, oh come on, where are they going with this? It's typical, I figure, just another, you know, left winger in the Washington Post trying to find a way to uh, to slam Trump. And so the the article was about something about what if Travis Kelsey, a star, a tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, and Taylor Swift—I don't need to tell you who she is—and of course, a lot of press about them getting together and all the rest. So the crux of this article was, what if Travis and Taylor took on democracy? And I think what it what it meant was, you got Travis Kelsey with 5 million-some followers in social media, but Taylor Swift, 450 million followers. And we know it wasn't that long ago, right? She... She generated some interest in uh, voter registration, had a pretty good response to that. And so the writer was saying, if you get those two against you with those kind of numbers, I mean, what if only half of them made a difference? What if only a, a small fraction of 455 million followers decided to Vote against somebody. I'm not suggesting that the 13 year old girls who are the big fans of Taylor Swift are voters. Their moms are. So if nothing else, I think the former president ought to be advised. Don't, don't compare crowd size with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Okay. Former president Trump. I, I don't think that's going to work in your favor. Don't say you can draw bigger crowds than Taylor Swift, at least at a minimum. New York Post, by the way, reports that uh, Travis and Taylor are going to be wearing one of those couple costumes for Halloween. If you care anything about that, which I'm guessing you probably don't. One other little bit of uh, information on the election front. I found it pretty interesting that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is definitely making some noise that he might – announced as uh, an independent. And I remember seeing the article, I might have had it on the show last weekend, about the Democrat National Committee freaking out when they were talking about the no-labels crowd potentially finding a a slate, president and vice president candidates, and, and running them. They're not making a decision anytime soon, is my understanding. But if that were to happen, no labels crowd gets in. You have RFK Jr. getting in as an independent. You can understand how the Democrats might say, hey, I don't think this is going to help the incumbent to win, right? So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out on the political front. Just like how are these uh, how are these strikes going to play out? The United Auto Workers, what, 25,000 plus UAW workers are, are on strike now. I saw their president yesterday on a Facebook live stream. Among other things, he said President Biden has their back. So they got that going for him. And then a couple other big strikes in the offing. Don't know if they're going to play out or not. The huge healthcare organization, Kaiser Permanente, 75,000 healthcare workers may walk off the job within days. Heard about the Las Vegas hospitality workers also could strike soon. Big strike in Las Vegas, big strike in the healthcare industry. That stuff will be worth watching, right? We're about to wrap up here. A couple of miscellaneous items of New York Post reports Hunter Biden's legal bills could be running as much as a million dollars a month. That's fighting the indictments against him on guns, four lawsuits he handles over his laptop. And then an upcoming Supreme Court case. I mean, the new, the new session begins tomorrow. This is a huge showdown over the First Amendment having to do with Texas. It would basically be whether the Constitution would allow Florida and Texas to prevent large social media companies from removing posts based on their views. A huge First Amendment issue And those court cases are always fascinating to watch. The likes of Facebook and Twitter, right, suspended Trump's accounts. And it's just going to be really interesting to see where the court comes down on all that. About out of time for this afternoon. Thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. A rare appearance on a Sunday afternoon by The Morning Show's executive producer, Patrick Vandehe. Patrick, thanks for sitting in this afternoon. Glad to have you with us this afternoon. As always, the latest news coming up next here on KLBJ.